Welcome Latinos in Clinical Research. I'm Judy Galindo, one of the co-founders for Latinos in Clinical Research, and I'm here with Monica Cutiva, and today we're going to be speaking with Erica Polinat, who is a licensed marriage and family therapist, sub-I-slash-rater for clinical research studies, and a current doctoral candidate. Eric, thank you for being here with us. We're excited to learn more about you, your education, your professional background, your experience, and what you're currently doing. Well, thank you for having me. So I guess we'll get started. Um, let us, so let's start from the beginning. Uh, how did you get, I mean, I guess let's start with your education. Where did you start? Um, how did you start? I guess, what, what area, where did you go into for schooling? <laughs> well, I started my career in Mexico. I, I, I started working in the neighboring city of Mexicali to Imperial County. You know, we're located south of the border to Imperial County, uh, which is west to San, is east to San Diego County, I should say, uh, in California, in the southwest corner of California. In Mexicali, you start your education with a bachelor's degree, you know, your professional education with a bachelor's degree. And in the area of therapy or uh, human services or counseling, the bachelor's degree in Mexico is enough. So you graduate from your bachelor's degree, you do your community service hours, which are required in Mexico by law. And once you have your uh, bachelor's degree or licenciatura title uh, granted to you, then you can start practicing um, as a counselor, full-fledged counselor. Very different from the requirements in the United States that actually requires a graduate degree at the master's level for somebody to practice uh, one of the areas of counseling or uh, direct services, psychotherapy over there. So I started working. Yes, Eric, sorry to interrupt. I have a question. Um, how long does it take in Mexico to have like the psychology degree, like the bachelor's? It depends on how you work your credits and what's the institution that is granting the, uh, the degree. Uh, usually it should take three to four years, but a uh, precocious student could do it in two years. Oh, okay. And how about here? In the United States, uh, you mean the bachelor's or the full studies to become uh, licensed and do therapy? Uh, uh, the bachelor's and then the rest. Well, go. in the United States, you would probably have to go first to college and do your prereqs unless you start directly in your um, major area in the university. So the bachelor's degree should take you somewhere around two or three years, maybe four, depending on how you're moving with your credits. And then depending on the institution that you are joining, you would have to do your test on subject areas, uh, get a certain score to be eligible for the uh, degree program, for the graduate degree program. And then you're thinking about two or three years, maybe four uh, to complete your master's as well. And in the area of psychotherapy or therapy, uh, becoming licensed also requires that you fulfill a requirement of um, hours that are being supervised. In the case of a licensed marriage and family therapist like myself, you have to do 3,000 hours of supervised experience to be eligible to sit for your board examination. Uh, once you pass your board examination, which is two parts, ethics and also uh, knowledge or you know the academic part, then you are granted your license. And then every two years, in the period of renewal, you have to do at least 36 credit units of uh, continuous education.
to be eligible to renew your license. So the, the requirements are very different yeah. from one country to the other. It's a, a whole different world. And also the way the practice is regulated, it's also very different. Yeah, it's a very lengthy process in the US, right? To be a therapist, it just seems like it takes a long time. <laughs> I think there's yeah. a, a, a significant amount of time that you have to invest. It's, it's this effort to protect the consumer, uh, uh, the client, the patient, uh, however we want to call it. Uh, there's an effort to protect because the infancy of our profession and a, a lot of the people in this field doesn't necessarily know the infancy of our profession is really mined and full of events where their relationship was exploited or misused. So the efforts to protect the consumer are very important, I believe. No, I agree. And I think it's wonderful that it has such a lengthy process because that way it, uh, but I mean, the end product, <laughs> which is a professional like you have a lot of more experience, more knowledge, because if you think about it, mental health is such a, a sensitive and critical uh, part of healthcare uh, because we don't have really tests that can prove that somebody has a specific condition, right? Like there is not a blood sample that you can just do and oh yeah, you have uh, OCD, <laughs> right? You have to get uh, analyzed. And then if you don't have that, that all that knowledge and all that experience that you have right now, you might misdiagnose. And even though that you have that a lot of doctors and, and, uh, and a professionals such as yourself uh, can also make the mistake of uh, uh, misdiagnosing, right? I mean, uh, probably it's not a mistake. It's just that it, it has such many paths and every doctor is different or every professional is different in the way that they analyze. Obviously, they, they, fo uh, they follow their um, education and experience. But yeah, I think it's, it's, it's important to have it. And, and I think it's great that United States is um, is more um, strict with that. The, the 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 system of let's say preparation of a mental health professional in the United States is very different uh, than the one that you see in Mexico, for example. Especially for people in my area, not so much for psychiatrists or nurses, which is a more similar process of preparation. Uh, the, the European system is more akin to the Mexican system in that regard. They have a similar um, approach to the credits and the kind of academic experience that a person has to have to become a therapist. Um, yeah, but there's um, a, a great advantage in having all these systems in place that protect the consumer. That, that is really important to have. Mm -hmm. yeah so I guess going back to your education but because you did start in Mexico and you are you had you were able to see I guess in a sense patients a lot sooner than you yes. did here you have that experience right yeah one of the things is that um it lets you start very early if you are a precocious student like I was saying you can have your bachelor's degree by the time you're 20 and start seeing clients at that age uh it's um 
dangerous, like uh, Monica was saying. It's a dangerous uh, process, but also can give a, a person the opportunity to start gaining experience early on. In my case, uh, I had uh, a lot of luck because I was involved with local nonprofits in Mexicali that were uh, giving services to people that were suffering uh, domestic violence and other kinds of uh, oppression and abuse. So that put me in contact with a clientele or a very specific part of the population that has this needs uh, that require uh, the professional to learn more, to do more, uh, to advance his uh, knowledge uh, in the work that he does. So that was, uh, to me, that was a very valuable experience. So that was uh, a big part of what I did at the beginning of my career, uh, this uh, services to low income, high crime areas in Mexicali. Uh, and then I worked for the government in Mexico also, uh, the first uh, women's shelter in the area of Mexicali. Uh, there was a big revolution in Mexico where they started seeing domestic violence as a crime, which it took them way longer than it happened in the United States. So when this revolution started happening, uh, they opened up a women's shelter in, in the area of Mexicali. And I had the opportunity to work there as a counselor for several years as well. And, and that was also a very uh, enriching experience for me, uh, being able to work with these uh, families, with these women uh, in shelter condition. You know, So it's, again, something that requires from you as a professional and it pushes you to learn and know more. Um, as you are already familiar with, I also did a uh, master's degree in Mexico uh, through the Pedagogic University, um, the National Pedagogic University. It's a, a master's degree that is more inclined towards research, it's epistemology and philosophy of science. So that's also something that uh, I wanna mention, I, I always had this inclination, this interest for research. So even back then I was thinking, how can I organize my practice? How can I organize my day-to-day -day activities so that I learn something? I can tell that you like studying. <laughs> yes, yes, Karek is actually one, one of wonderful, our best wonderful. Uh, raiders. <laughs> so, yeah, the, the, the idea of being able to organize your practice in a way that it gives you information, that it makes you learn something, it's, I, I believe, the very basis of social research. Uh, and then due to a series of personal events, I decided to start working in the United States. And that's when I, when I moved to uh, start looking for a job in Imperial County. Uh, validated my studies to one of the international education foundations that are available for uh, anybody that has an education outside from the United States. So you submit your documentation and they tell you what's the equivalency in the United States uh, educational system. And with that, um, I was able to join the master's degree program for uh, the marriage and family counseling license. Uh, so that's the, the next uh, educational process that I embarked on. I was working for local nonprofits at that time. And um, by the end of my master's degree and, and the time that I was doing my hours, 
I came to uh, be in touch with the people at Sun Valley uh, and Sun Valley Research and um, the clinical director, the Dr. NG, he uh, helped me with some hours of direct client services. And Yuri uh, was able to include me in some of the research that they were doing already. And I started there learning the very basics of this clinical research process that is in place. And uh, it's been six years, I believe, that I've been collaborating with Yuri. And it's a wealth of projects that she brings into the agency uh, with this new treatments that are coming out uh, to help people uh, and mental health needs. So it's it's been quite a journey, you know, seeing all the different designs and all the different ways of measuring and keeping safety in mind. So it's been uh, very formative and very interesting. Uh, Eric, like for example, obviously you have all your your knowledge, your all your experience as a professional. And how research has enriched your professional part, like for example, with your patients, with your personal, with your um, how you call your um, not not the patients of research, but your um, how you say oh, the private <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, your private practice, yeah. How so, does research enrich that? Well, one of the things that is really important is that you have a a really good understanding of how the medication comes to be, you know, how it's created. It's no longer this magical event, you know, like you see the whole process and there's a lot more confidence when you talk to a client about having them evaluated for medication needs. There's a lot more confidence in talking to them about uh, side effects, for example. And the other thing that gives you an advantage is that you are familiar with some of the newer treatments that are coming out. You know, uh, that's also very uh, encouraging for the clients because we can let them know, hey, uh, this is coming up pretty soon, or hey, uh, I'm going to have you go to the research side instead of staying in the clinical side because we have a project right now, and this is uh, something that I want you to do if you can do. It's, 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 it could be very beneficial. Uh, the other thing that it gives you is that it gives you this, um, I would say, this uh, scientific mindset to what you're doing. You're no longer just thinking on this, um, let's say, automatic or ad hoc uh, mindset of a counselor, but you're, you're organizing your thoughts, you're organizing your ideas um, so that kind of like there's a narrative that makes sense behind what you're doing and what you're seeing. And the last thing that I think it really gives is that you learn a lot of measurement tools, a lot of different additional uh, measurement tools that you can use. Um, some of them free of use, some of them not, but you learn a lot of different ways uh, to uh, be more certain, like you were saying earlier, in the process of diagnosis and uh, prognosis of a case specifically. So it, it, it really helps, I, I would say, anybody working as a clinician could benefit greatly from knowing or participating in this clinical trial research. 
what would you say now that you say that? What would you say to a student that recently graduated and start practicing and they don't know nothing about research? Mm. Well, <laughs> I, 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 do, I do have the opportunity to talk to some people on a personal manner. You know, sometimes I, I my usually the advice that I give them is to don't stop being curious, you know, like don't assume that you have reached a point where you uh, where you know everything or you have all the answers. And the other thing is that um, you have to be a well-rounded professional in this area. You have to be a well-rounded uh, um, service provider. And being a clinician only, without being an educator, for example, without being also part of research and scientific endeavors, it, it's not... Uh, a well-rounded professional. So if they want to be well-rounded professionals, I would tell them, you know, it's get involved with research efforts. Uh, that's going to help you hone some of your um, uh, skills, uh, skill set. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> Yeah, it's been very interesting. I mean, I would like to pick your brain a lot more. <laughs> um, but, um, and actually, let us, uh, what, what are you doing now with your school? So you went back to school, right? Uh, well, yeah, recently um, I went back to school for my doctorate in clinical psychology. And at this point, I'm at the candidacy part of the project, which means I finished the required credits and I'm in the dissertation process at this point. And I'm also planning on joining a um, certification program for a new uh, type of intervention that is coming out uh, as, as the psychedelic treatments. Uh, so that's the other academic project right now and in the works. Uh, so yeah, getting a, a doctorate and trying to get certified to to do this new treatment also where we are at. Yeah, we're seeing more and more psychedelics in research, which is very exciting, uh, yeah. especially obviously for mental health, because that, that will be a, a whole other uh, experience and other uh, possibilities of treatment for people out there that nothing that is currently in the market works. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, and Eric was actually the one that brought it up to me probably a few years ago, I think, Eric, remember that organization? You're like, hey, look into this. Is there something we can ever do? Never and never. so I was like, I'm open to it. Hey, if we can bring a study and they need sites, let's try it. <laughs> yeah, with, with MAPS, uh, we're, seeing, yeah. we're seeing more and more that um, whatever happened back in the 40s and the 50s, it was interrupted around the 60s and the 70s. Uh, it was really promising research. And some of the things that are coming out of the woodwork right now, especially with PTSD and MDMA treatment, is very promising because you, you have this portion of the population that we see that get no relief from interventions that are already out there. And that's why it's important that clinical trials continue to be promoted uh, either by the FDA or by the private laboratories that produce the medication or by foundations. It's very important that we continue to have this ongoing clinical trials that are trying to find new interventions because uh, there's people out there that still, even with all the things that we have available, 
don't find the relief that they deserve and the quality of life doesn't improve. So it's, I think it's a, it's a, it's picked great. And also uh, we have some catch up to do because Europe mm -hmm. has been doing it since the eighties. So we, we need to catch up, you know, we, we need to catch up in the knowledge and understanding of these new interventions. Uh, so hopefully we have more clinical trials coming up. Yeah, uh, research research mm -hmm. need to be up to date with mental health. Yes, I agree. <laughs> we need a lot of more research. Yes, <laughs> and we'll keep doing it. We'll keep doing yes. it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So I think in English that's uh, basically all. Unless uh, you have something else to add, Judy or Eric. No, I don't. I think we got a good overview. Eric, did you want to add anything else? Um, no, no, thank you. So, okay. Yeah, I think that's it. Thank yeah. you, Eric, for thank giving you. us your time. And that's it for today's video in English. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Stay tuned okay. for the Spanish one. Yes. <laughs> All right.